Did you know that Bitcoin uses as much energy as some entire countries? Bitcoin has a massive network of miners called ASICs that require a lot of energy to mine and secure the Bitcoin network. So for Bitcoin to be successful, it's critical to have access to cheap and reliable energy. That's why miners are moving in flocks to Texas and running their mining operations off of natural gas wells, wind turbines, solar farms, and on-grid applications. But up to now, there hasn't been a place for Bitcoin miners and energy producers to connect with each other. That's why Digital Wildcatters is bringing everyone to the energy capital of the world, Houston, Texas, for two days of network and learning at the premier mining event and power. Maybe you're an experienced miner or energy producer that's looking for partnerships, or maybe you're new to the space and you want to learn and get your foot in the door. There's going to be content and opportunities for people from all different backgrounds. March 30th, the 31st, Houston, Texas, and power. Get more information at digitalwildcatters.com. This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to the show. We've got our buddy John Ludwig with Novi. It's just Novi now, right? Not Novi Labs? Uh, the, lab, the labs is still there. So there, keeping around for sentimental reasons. Yeah, <laughs> this is your. We were just talking about it. You've been. You were at the original OG studio when we started three years ago. You went downtown with us. Now you're back in the new studio, which is in the same building as the first studio. This is like your third, fourth, fifth time. I don't know. Third time. Third time on the show. Yep. Third time on the show. So you guys just released a pretty big announcement. So I, I reached out and I was just like, "Hey, congrats on this. Would love to love to chat with you guys about this." It, kind of somewhat changes the trajectory of the company a little bit, I think, in terms of like what your service offerings are and what you're offering to customers. So for those who are just not tuning in, they have no exposure to who Novi has been traditionally. What have you guys traditionally done? And then we'll kind of dive into what you guys do it now. Yeah, we started the company back in 2014 and we've always been <clears throat> focused on using uh, empirical methods to help customers gain insights from data. So we've always focused on oil and gas, specifically uh, horizontal uh, drilling, and we basically try to build a better way using uh, cloud-scale compute, machine learning algorithms, et cetera, build a better way to make a forecast uh, for a well. So we have software that organizes data. We have software that builds models. We have software that allows customers to leverage the models to actually make actionable business, business decisions. So you notice the first thing I said there was data. Mm -hmm. So traditionally, uh, we show up, uh, start a customer engagement, and... And we say to the customer, where's your data? We need to put your data in. Uh, and they say, ah, oh, okay, um, well, some of it's over here and some of it's over there. And some of it I got to download from a data subscription that I have. And, and then it takes, ends up taking a few months in a lot of cases to put a data set together. Mm -hmm. uh, so when we were thinking about this acquisition, this, this strategy behind it was pretty simple. Like, what if the data were just there? And what if they just had a model on day one that represents the sum total of our seven years of experience doing this. And they could use that model on day one to actually, to make actionable business uh, decisions. So that's, that's what we were targeting. It's like, mm -hmm. we had the software to do it. We had the software to integrate and blend the data. We had the software to make the models. It'd just be great if we just did it for them and it was there on day one. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what we were targeting uh, when we put the thesis together to make, make the, make the acquisition. So what kind of models are you guys building? Is it models for PDPs? Is it models for uh, a new drilling program? Kind of lubbered in that a little bit. Yeah, both. I mean, that's changed over the years. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so 
and has really been driven by our customers. Uh, so we started off uh, in pre-drill. So customers could create different ways they might develop mm -hmm. the field, um, undeveloped acreage, um, uh, and then they would put it in our software, which we provide interfaces to make that pretty easy. Um, and then they could run forecasts. Uh, so our software would create forecasts for different cube designs, different development patterns, different ways you might time the development. You know, if you can't allocate an, enough capital to do co-development, maybe you want to do parent-child, but you want to uh, you want to see what what impacts that can I have on my NPV or my IRR if I mm -hmm. if I stagger the development like that. So we've always been historically really good at that and and developed a lot of competency around that. Uh, then one of our customers, a uh, lar large Midland operator, came to us with a question. They're like, we like your pre-drill stuff. That's cool. Uh, but we'd really see a lot of value in automating our PDP forecasts. And really, PDP forecasts have kind of two very different lenses. Uh, one is for reserves, which drives one aspect of an oil company's value. How, how much, how much uh, yeah. reserves replenishment do you have? Um, and the other use case is capital planning, right? Mm -hmm. Which is okay, I'm making assumptions about future oil prices. Uh, and obviously those assumptions must have changed wildly in the last two years for most companies. I mean, it's 90 bucks now, it was negative 37, you know, <laughs> two years ago. So it's been a wild ride, man. Yeah, totally. So, so given, given that the, the, there's this wild ride uh, for a variety of assumptions on forward price outlook, uh, capital, you know, it drives your hedging strategy. Having, having really good PDP forecasts is very important. So mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of GNA pressure uh, on the industry, uh, both now and really since really since COVID, but even really before that, this is happening. So it's a lot of focus in the industry on automation. So we were trying to do two things with PDP forecasting. Number one, automate it, make mm -hmm. it easier, especially for companies that have a lot of wells. Uh, and then number two, um, we wanted we wanted to make the forecast more accurate. Uh, mm -hmm. So if they're more accurate and they're automated, why are you spending all this engineering time hand curating? Uh, the forecast. So mm. with that particular customer I mentioned, they gave us this problem. They said, are you willing to work with us in this? And we said, let's do it. You yeah. know, we started the company that way, working mm. on pre-drill. So post-drill was a natural extension. We had to completely change our approach. Uh, we had to use different algorithms. Uh, so a couple of years of development went into it, but now we have a fully functional PDP product as well. And we're, we're pretty excited about both of them. Are you guys doing anything on the evaluation of, you know, any kind of acquisitions? <clears throat> Yeah, both acquisitions and divestitures. So, okay. uh, great example. Uh, one of our customers was uh, uh, Primex Energy Partners, right? Mm -hmm. So, Primex uh, in October of last year they announced that they're being acquired by Callan. Uh, so that was that transaction happened uh, in the in the Delaware. So, so Primex was actually interested in maximizing the value of the ac acquisition. Uh, Therefore, they, they wanted to make a compelling case as to the quality of their acreage. So they ran all these development scenarios through our software so they could make the most compelling case that they could. Uh, and that, that worked out very well for them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because you, you want to make a case not only that uh, your acreage is good, but that also your acreage should attract capital uh, relative to the company that's acquiring you, relative to the acreage that they have, right? Mm -hmm. So they actually ran the scenario on both sides of the fence, one on the Callan side and one on their side and said, see, if you acquired us, our acreage is, is, worth, uh, is worth a significant amount of uplift because it's a better, it should attract capital uh, mm -hmm. in, internally. Um, so that's on the divestiture side. On the acquisition side, almost all of our customers have now, 
our software kind of started in the asset. That was always our customers, the, you know, the reservoir engineers, senior reservoir engineers yeah. and asset managers and executives and so on. Uh, we've now we've now seen a shift where a lot of the use cases are focused on acquisition or divestiture, you know, because mm. now now that we have PDP forecasts that are very accurate, that's part of the picture. You got to figure out what you're going to pay for the producing wells. Then you got to figure out what the proven undeveloped uh, acreage mm. is worth. So we can now answer both of those questions. Therefore, uh, it's customers can use our software, quickly create uh, forecasts uh, of the future performance of undeveloped or developed uh, acreage, and then use that as an input into their into their offer uh, and and ultimately hopefully convince the seller that their offer is a good offer because these mm. forecasts are so accurate interesting so i think that that could definitely tie in and i'm sure it does with the acquisition that you guys just made so let's i have a question around that but let's dive into what it is you guys acquired a shell profile yes which i think is based in the uk or netherlands netherlands yes so we have, an, we have so, an office in Rotterdam now. So strange. Um, <laughs> but but seeing those guys, they've, they've been putting out content and stuff on uh, Twitter for a while, especially like in the EFT crowd. They were kind of doing their own analysis. Mm-hmm. Or some people were using their data to kind of do some analysis. Um, so we've known about them for quite a while. So what was the... What was kind of like the genesis of this deal? Was this something that you guys were going out and you were evaluating different data providers after identifying that, hey we really need to kind of shorten up that time frame of like onboarding and provide more value to the customers or was this something that just kind of like serendipitously happened? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, serendipity is a hard thing for, for me to believe in. Everything happens for a reason, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, so we met, we met uh, the shell profile team at Urtech in 2019. So they had a booth there and we just, we just, we liked the guys. They were serious. Uh, they, they were applying, very modern uh, data architecture, development patterns, et cetera, we felt like they had the freshest look on on the data aggregation problem uh, that existed. So we took a look at them in 2019. Um, and at the time, we loved their technology, yeah. loved the potential, but there was a bunch of data sets that they were missing that mm-hmm. were necessary really for us to provide the kind of value. So we kind of said, not, not now, maybe later. Uh, so we stayed in touch. Um, we kind of adopted a partnership strategy on the on the data side, uh, which uh, is fine. But you know, partnerships are it's it's two different companies, right? So mm-hmm. uh, partnerships work out. Sometimes they don't work out. But from our point of view, we wanted to be able to consistently deliver uh, accurate, uh, timely, and complete data, right? So we took another look at Shell Profile uh, around midsummer timeframe. Timing was good for us. Timing was great for them. Business-wise, it was the right time uh, for both of us. So we did a, um, one of the advantages we have is we have uh, a huge database of actual proprietary well data that customers yeah. load into our system. So we had thousands of wells uh, in some of the key shale plays. You know, so we just took uh, thousands of wells from the Midland and the Delaware, um, and our due diligence with shale profile is really simple. Let's look at, let's look at your accuracy, timeliness, and completeness against this reference data set of 10,000 wells. Mm -hmm. So we knew the quality of what we were buying, uh, which was a capability that we had just based on our experience and the data sets that we've accumulated uh, over the years. So we we went into the deal very, very confident uh, that this this was the most accurate, complete, and timely data set we've seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, And from our point of view, uh, this is an asset. We, We decided partnership strategy is never going to work as well as owning it. Yeah. Uh, so let's just own it. Uh, and that's kind of how it happened. So now you're in the data game. 
We're in the data game. You're competing against the uh, they who should not be named, right? <laughs> yeah, some of whom are in our backyard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're uh, uh, years ago. My father told me something that stuck with me. I've always thought about this when I think about big business decisions. But uh, we were talking about sports, baseball, or something, and I was like you know, man, the, uh, the other guy, the pitcher on the other team, he's throwing the ball right at my head or he's doing this or the other guy's doing that. And my dad would always say, don't worry about what the other guy's doing. Only worry about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think about that a lot. And it, it's kind of like forms my thinking on a lot of different things. I guess my philosophy on life and <laughs> other things like that. So when I, when I think about, when I thought about this data acquisition, I didn't think of it like, oh, we're going to do this and then we're going to take down the big guys or whatever. I thought of it from the perspective of, this is customers want a fully integrated data to decision workflow, mm -hmm. right? So all the time they're spending just meandering around, going all these different databases, getting all this data, compiling it, putting it in our system. I, I view that as waste, right? So yeah. like, how do I get them to a position where they could buy my software and then on day one, they're able to use it and get mm -hmm. value out of it? That's the question I wanted to answer. So mm -hmm. I didn't really think of us, I don't think of us still as a, just a pure competitor to a traditional data. Traditional data, data providers aggregate data from public sources. They do some transformations. Maybe they add some other data like spacing or other things that's missing. And then they sell a ubiquitous product to everyone. So everyone gets the exact same mm -hmm. product. Uh, we feel like what's needed is, yes, you need to have all that static data, but you need to give customers control or the ability to configure how your calculations are done. So for example, you're going to calculate spacing. You need to give the customer control over how the spacing calculation is done. Mm -hmm. You're going to sample uh, subsurface grids like porosity or permeability grids or things like that. You want to give customers control over how the sampling happens. I mean, we sell to engineers. You know, mm -hmm. They want to control stuff like this. Does that apply to like how allocations are calculated in a place like Texas? Yes. Yeah, so that's, that's always a huge talking point, right? Yeah, the allocation problem in 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 Texas uh, is is one of the things we we think the Shell Profile team has actually done a really good job with it relative to what we've seen from other providers. Um, but it, but getting back to what I mentioned earlier about Novi's large database of actuals, we have the world's largest answer key mm -hmm. among the data the, the data that customers contribute. So if you have the largest answer key, I don't care what machine learning you're using you're going to come up with a better answer. Yeah. Uh, it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a problem we're going to work on uh, with the Shell Profile team, like pretty much straight out of the gate. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a number of customers that have already bought subscriptions to the data. And really the thing they're most interested in, they're like, you know, great, you know, make the completions data a little bit more accurate. That's great. Fill in missing values, use some statistical imputation. That's all great. But if you could just get us better allocation data, I bet we could make better decisions. So that's what we're focused on. You know, one of the things we're focused on right, right out of the mm -hmm. gate. And then the other thing is to fully integrate their data uh, into our software. So it, like when I talk about day one value proposition, you can't have that without the data, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so we want to fully integrate their data into our pipeline. So like day one, engineers looking at all the data that's loaded. It's kept evergreen automatically. They don't have to go download spreadsheets and upload spreadsheets and do a bunch of manual stuff. It's just there. Uh, so that's that, that fully integrated data to decision workflow is the other big, uh, big driver for us. And I'd imagine kind of going back to what we talked about with the acquisitions that you would be, if you had this data set already loaded up into your software to be able to create models, to identify opportunities, 
in theory, you should be able to do that at scale and a lot faster and identify. Yeah. So, so, uh, we actually have a name for that. We call it proactive targeting, right? Okay. So, so, uh, th there's a thesis widely held among, among, among oil companies that are trying to buy assets that you don't want to buy something that's actually for sale. <laughs> it's the mm -hmm. same is true of software companies. You have to, you know, if you Off get deals, man, yeah, if you get, if you get, if you get something that's a marketed deal, you're kind of yeah. like, eh, uh, what's wrong with it? Yep. You know, why, why does why, nobody else want this? Why couldn't they just made a phone call and mm -hmm. sold this thing? Like, you know, as, as much interest as there is in oil assets right now with current price structure. So, so uh, proactive targeting is really important. Um, so part of our, our value proposition is not only is the data there, uh, but you have a model so you could you could look at a corner of you know some somebody's acreage and say you know what they have so much stuff that's better than this they're never going to develop this not for years right mm -hmm. so then you could say carve out this little piece let me figure out what the potential is right and then you call their bd guy and you're like i want to buy this from you you're never going to get to it and here's my proof uh, i think it's worth this what do you think and now you're not in a competitive free for all bidding situation you're just talking and seeing if there's a deal that could be made. That's okay. <laughs> let me, let me, let me kind of provide some commentary. That is so much easier than people think it is because I've done it. Um, you know, one of the biggest, I mean, let's talk about the genesis of digital walkers because it actually happened the other day. Like digital walkers was originally in our YouTube channel and it was us videoing us buying and evaluating those wells that we bought in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we videoed us like doing the, the first workovers and stuff. And ever since then, one of the top questions was, you know, from engineers or any other investors in the space. I'm like, how do we just go out and buy our own wells? And I told him exactly what you just said. For one, it's off-market deals are going to be the best deals for you. Mm -hmm. And two, if you're able to go through and just identify assets that nobody's using or it's just like it's, it's a stranded asset that doesn't fit in with kind of the rest of the portfolio, go pick up the phone. Anybody will take the time. If you say, I want to buy shit from you, mm -hmm. they will always take the time to do that. Yeah, that's what they're paid. I mean, BD... Yeah. You know, almost all of our customers have some kind of BD function or a land mm -hmm. guy or, you know, something that works yeah. there. Usually a pretty sophisticated person, a lot of experience, and they're, that's their job. But I never had a tool to make that easy. Yeah. And yeah. had I had a tool, we probably would have made a lot more money from those <laughs> assets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. So that's one of our goals in having our own data, having our own data is that we can provide that. So mm -hmm. a great example, uh, I won't. Can't tell you the name of the company, but one of our one of our prospects, not a customer yet, mm -hmm. but a prospect bought an asset in the Eagle for really nice asset, but they already have it, you know, it's pretty drilled up. They're gonna probably do some lease line stuff. So there's mm -hmm. there's a use case for asset optimization, yeah. but it's 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 strong, but it's not super strong. Far stronger than that is, hey, we have a lot more capital available to us. We want to look at other bases, right? So how do I do that? Like, okay, I can download a bunch of data and I could put together my own type curve model, but trying to do that with some scale behind it mm -hmm. for like, so they're, so they're just focused on the Eagle Ford currently. Yes. And they're wanting to go to an entirely new basin. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So like, like, let's say for the example, for example, yeah. you've, you know, you've owned, you own acreage. It's kind of drilled up. So you're like, well, should I deploy capital drilling wells that I know are not going to be great performers just because I'm trying to wedge them in, or I'm trying to go underneath something that was developed four years ago or whatever, like, you know, you can get returns on that stuff, especially at current prices, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's a risky proposition. Uh, so maybe you, maybe you just buy that thing and, and own the PDP and, you know, do some workovers, make the wells a little better. 
Uh, and, and really the better use of, of capital might be not drilling. Maybe it's go buy something else. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so they're, they want to go look in, in other basins, but small team, what, what, what's available to them to help them sort of scale their decision-making process. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd argue it's us. Otherwise, uh, you know, I, I kind of think of other providers out there, da traditional data providers, like they sell you a bunch of car parts, no owner's manual. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you're like sitting there with a bunch of parts and you're like, how do I put together the car that I want to drive? You know, it, and it will take you a long time. Uh, and then once you've built it, you realize, man, I made a lot of mistakes. This car doesn't go as fast as I want it to. It doesn't stop as well as I want it to. So you want to, if you want to change anything in your workflow, now it's weeks more of work, right? Mm -hmm. So we feel, we feel like we can provide a lot of value by just simply ha just selling a pre-made model uh, in, in some basin you're interested in and licensing it at terms that are very flexible. So mm -hmm. instead of the traditional, I got to take all the data, I got to make a big spreadsheet. I got to fix all the data that's broken, you know, all of that stuff. You have a working model that you can use to drive business decisions, like drive your targeting, proactive targeting, if that's what mm -hmm. you're doing or whatever, it's just there mm -hmm. and you can start using it on day one. And that, that's kind of what we're, what we're trying to provide. Is the, is the model providing actual, uh, present value, different assets? Yeah. So, so you can, uh, so we, we generate, uh, uh, economic, um, data, yeah. uh, for, ev for everything that we do. So it's time series, economic data, rate of return, NPV, uh, et cetera. So we generate, we calculate that on a per well basis. And then of course it's easy to roll mm -hmm. it up, uh, to a, to a development unit or, or whatever. So um, on, in this, so in this scenario, you have the, this, this prospect who has, uh, a lot of assets in the Eagleford say they wanted to go to, let's name something random. Um, they want to go to the Permian, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's in the Permian right now. Now that you have all of this data, now that you're able to kind of run these models at scale, are you able to kind of roll that up into, here are the opportunities within that into like a dashboard and saying like, hey, within say the Permian, there are certain counties that are meeting maybe my set of parameters, mm -hmm. right? And then from, because it's, that's the hard part. It's like, yeah. where, do you, like, where do you start, right? And you've got to be able to filter that down and understand where am I in the money given my solid parameters? Yeah, so we have, we have customers that actually use, will uh, run scenarios in our software where they'll, they'll like place pads all mm -hmm. over the place. So if they're interested in a particular area, they'll just, they'll just place a bunch of pads anywhere where there's open acreage. Uh, they'll place a bunch of pads there or they'll, you know, they'll place developments, you know, like a Wolf Camp B, uh, parent-child development underneath a wolf campaign that was drilled a couple of years, years ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if they do this, they can <clears throat> easily generate estimates of, of value because we, we, we will output all of the NPV calculations, IRR calculations, et cetera. So um, we've had customers that have done this and then they've made a map, map out of the NPV data mm. that we provide. So we're kind of looking at, we always follow what our customers do because they always come up with creative ways to use our data we never even thought of. Uh, and then what we try to do is follow behind that and say, how can I make that easier? Or how can I make it faster to do that? Or how can I, how can I eliminate wasted time uh, for them so that they can, they can do those sorts of things uh, with our software, but just do it as part of an integrated automated workflow. Mm -hmm. um, so, so now that we have this shell profile data, we're thinking about things like, you know, basin wide valuations or other things that would be you know, derived from mm -hmm. this underlying uh, capability to have your own data, build your own model, you know, and lay, lay pads all over 
any sized undeveloped acreage you want. And, you know, for Novi customers, that's an afternoon's work, not months, yep. which is what it would take. It's so traditional, traditional methods. Like, like going back to what I said, it's easy to pick up the phone and make calls. It's not easy to identify where you're going to make money. Yes. So let me go back on that and say <laughs> that it takes, uh, I don't know, it took us probably the greater part of a year, year and a half, maybe two years. Mm-hmm to figure out where we wanted to go. And it was like deal after deal after deal and plugging them into spreadsheets. That's all we had access to at the time, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's just super time consuming. Um, so does, so does Novi live as a standalone product? I mean, is there kind of like three offerings of like one, the other, and then combined? Is that how it's going to kind of move forward or? Yeah. So there's, there's just really, <clears throat> there's really four, four offerings. So okay. uh, one, if a customer only wants to buy data, we will sell a data subscription. I think that'll, uh, that's Shell Profile's current business, yep. and we'll keep we'll keep supporting that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> What's the price then, point on that for anybody's listening? Uh, it, it it depends. Okay. Uh, so so one of the things we're trying to solve commercially is uh, legacy data providers are trying to force feed customers full lower forty eight subscriptions instead of being flexible about licensing only what they want. Uh, yeah. So <clears throat> so price points can can vary a great deal. I think it's smart. Um, sorry to interrupt, but I'm I'm looking into investing in some Air, Airbnbs, and there's a company called AirDNA that allows you, as opposed to like you just said, having to pay nationally and paying this huge price. If I'm only interested in opening an Airbnb in Houston, I pay mm-hmm. for Houston. That's yeah, it. you just well, pay for individual markets, and it's so much more economical. Yeah, great great example. I mean, we're we're uh, the same customer, uh, the the management team that that ran Primex immediately started a company called Blue Ox uh, Resources and they mm-hmm. just they they just announced it they were backed by uh, Carnelian Capital uh and they so uh so they Primex officially ended on the 1st of December by like January 1st they had a new company uh, up and running Jeez. and they're and they're now a customer uh, wow. so they it's been a uh you know they had a lot of success with those before um made some money that says a lot to go from Boom, selling to immediately a customer with. Yeah. I mean, mean, you know, successful management teams are not exactly a dime a dozen, right? So, you know, you, you, they, they typically don't have a problem uh, getting funded and it's a great team. I mean, we, we, we worked really well with them when they were at Primex and, and we're super pleased. They, uh, as their CEO said, one of the first phone calls we make was calling us. I'm like, man, that's, that's where we want to be. We're just in the DNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, embedded in. So we're, we're. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Combo Curve. If you haven't heard, Aries and PhD went around and Combo Curve is in. Combo Curve is the cloud based operating system for energy companies. The single integrated platform helps your engineering teams become more agile, precise, and efficient than ever before. For the first time ever, you now generate type curves and forecast thousands of wells accurately and in a fraction of the time. Oh, and it can automatically run these forecasts every single day. What I love most about the Combo Curve team is their work ethic and actually caring about their customers. Every time I talk to the team, Armand, Jeremy, everybody else over there, they're reinvesting into growing the development team to tackle any challenges that their clients may be facing. But don't take my word for it. Go over to combocurve.com, read the dozens of testimonials on their website from clients like Arm Energy, Laredo Petroleum, Rock and W Minerals, and many more. Request a demo, and these guys will get you taken care of super pleased about that but it's uh when we talk about price points you know the price point could be as small as hey i just want to rent data and a model from you in one basin mm-hmm. and 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 i need it for six months yeah. uh you know that 
that kind of commercial flexibility is kind of broken fundamentally mm-hmm. in the market. Like it used to exist and now it no longer exists. Yeah. Uh, well, the model part didn't exist. So we're trying to fix the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And we're also trying to re- increase the flexibility commercially. So you're not having to spend three, $400,000 to get started, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're spending, you know, 50,000 or $100,000 and you have everything you need. Mm-hmm. And then you do go hire your people, which is the real expense. Yeah. Uh, and then you give them tools that make them super productive. So you, you know, you can have a very lean team. You can look at a lot of deals. Uh, you can do proactive targeting, uh, and they're just they're just completely unleashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <clears throat> um, so our, our pricing model is driven by users, of course, uh, and it's also driven by we we do enterprise level pricing. You know, if if they're like, I just want everything. There are some companies that mm-hmm. just want everything. So we're we try to be very flexible. Uh, in our, in our terms. So uh, what are the four different options again? Oh, sorry. Uh, so data, just data, yeah. uh, which, again, which is shell profiles, mm-hmm. legacy business, uh, data plus software, which is essentially our integrated data analytics offering. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the third leg of the stool is data plus software plus an out of the box model. So we'll just license that. Mm-hmm. Think of it like model as a service, right? Mm-hmm. We'll just license that as a, uh, is that a, a model service. that you guys have pre-built or you build on this? Yeah, so we, we have uh, we have pre-built models in almost every one of the major shell plays that are based on our seven years of experience or mm-hmm. almost eight now. Uh, and we, you know, we built thousands of models for customers and we have, we have the type of customers where they don't give you any quarter if you screw up, you know, like they have to be good. So we've got years of experience now and we've kind of taken all that experience and essentially summarized it in, in the, how, how these, these models are put together. So like, there's a lot of what data do I use? What variables do I use? What wells do I use to train it given the type of insight I want it to give me? Uh, so we have a a few sort of reference models that we deliver. And then for customers that sign up for this model as a service, we'll keep those updated once a quarter. So as new data comes in, they'll, they'll basically just on a rolling basis, get the best of what we offer. Uh, with with quarterly updates, data updates are automatic, so they they just that's just part of the subscription. Mm-hmm. Before we hopped on the mic, you were talking a lot, and I think you've you've kind of alluded a little bit. It seems like you very clearly have like this mission in your head of things that you want to fix in this space. Like, so what is like what is your? I don't know if, I don't know if it's a vision or like a mission statement or like what are you like what are you trying to? really ultimately solve like what is your north star for this you know our our our, uh our our mission statement is pretty simple we want we want to help we want to help the world secure energy independence uh so energy independence comes from finding your let me back up one step so if you think about the the global economics of of oil right Mm -hmm. there are countries that have it and then there are countries that don't yep and the countries that don't are hugely disadvantaged Mm -hmm. uh economically so if i can if we can devise ways to to help the companies that have it produce it for the lowest possible price for the maximum possible productivity everyone gets kind of lifted up so if you mm-hmm. don't have it um maybe you do have it and you don't know that's also possible but if you don't have it you know the companies that are producing it can produce it at a much lower price because they can their chances of finding oil are better their chances of of producing the maximum amount for every dollar spent are better and frankly Oil companies have to be able to attract capital, so they've, especially these days, they've got to they've got to show free cash return to their to their investors, right? Mm-hmm. So, all of those things are pretty germane to the overall problem. So, what we're trying to do is maximize the economic success 
of every dollar that's spent? What is the return on that investment? If you fix that, then every participant in the energy economy, which is everyone, every yep. country, every government, that's like their first goal. <laughs> Do the lights work in my country when people turn a light switch on, right? Yeah. And it's very fundamental, but uh, we feel like, how do, how do I help the production of energy happen at a, at a free cash return that is attractive to get the money in so that they can actually produce it so that then they can sell it. And so that then somebody who doesn't have oil in their country turns the lights on and, and the lights work. Uh, so I, I have kind of a long view uh, on it really. And, and it's, my background is, is, is economics. So I think mm -hmm. about incentives. I think about how these global dependencies that exist uh, between countries and governments and all those sorts of things. And, you know, we have this amazing resource here in the U.S. and we have this amazing sort of uh, um, uh, know-how uh, as to how to extract this stuff. And it keeps getting better and better uh, over time. So our job is to help it keep getting better and better over time. Eventually, shale know-how here is going to be exported globally, right? Yeah. <clears throat> it's already happening in the Vacamar to play down in Argentina. We have several customers down there. Uh, Colombia, uh, if, if things change uh, regulatory-wise, they may be in it. They, they have a massive resource there. Uh, um, Asia actually has a massive unconventional mm -hmm. resource. Uh, Saudi Arabia is making investments like the Jafura field. They've drilled 200 gas wells there, and they're pretty amazing. So there's a lot of upside potential, and I think this, this eventually, what's, what's been pioneered here in the U.S. and the know-how starting from George Mitchell to figure out how mm -hmm. to do this, uh, extract hydrocarbons in a, you know, using a horizontal, from a horizontal well bore, that's going to be, that's going to be exported globally. So I think of no, no, Novi has a role uh, in, in the energy economy. And right mm -hmm. now, uh, because we don't have as many customers as, as I'd like us to have, our role is limited. Mm -hmm. I want our role to be bigger. Uh, so you definitely have your sights set on... <clears throat> Yeah, global. Yeah, yeah, and it's not you know cer certainly Novi has investors of which I am one. Uh, mm -hmm. So we we want to produce a good return for our investors too, just like we want to help our customers produce the best returns uh, for their investors. Um, <clears throat> but but on the other hand, we're a market participant, and this is an industry. Um, and uh, I've done very well personally in this industry, and I know a lot of people who have as well. And we feel uh, we feel we owe. Uh, the industry, uh, a debt of gratitude to, l to learn from what we've learned to pass it on, you know, and, and really the, the data footprint that you leave behind and helping customers sort through that and make better decisions in the future is, is a big mm. part of the legacy that you pass to the next, yeah. next generation. Right. So I think about all those things when we think about our, our, our thesis on the market and our strategy and how we're going to grow our company and, and, and why we think our company deserves to grow, mm. uh, long-term. I think one of the things that you you said that is, is sticking with me is something that I've been kind of thinking on a lot lately. You know, I'm always thinking about the future and thinking about like, you know, what does my future look like? What does the future of the energy industry look like? What is, I don't know. I'm, I'm constantly just thinking about that. And, you know, it's easy for if you were talking to somebody from out the, outside the industry and they're like, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I run a, you know, a software company and, uh, you know, an energy for them to be like, oh, yeah, that's whatever. But what you said was energy literally touches every single person on the planet for sure so like is there anything <clears throat> like and this is what i've been thinking about like is there anything more important that i could be spending my time on 
Yeah, I think about that, and I, I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything. Like, should you, I, if we, should go, I if be, we go to Mars, what do we need? We need energy infrastructure yeah. day one. We need energy to get there, first off. Yeah. And then we need energy infrastructure day one to build a civilization. I mean, it's just so interwoven in the fabric of modern society. Yeah. You know, it's, For sure. It, it, all, it all boils down to, to the light switch. You flip the light switch, and the lights, if the lights don't go on reliably like 100% of the time, then you failed. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter where you're deploying energy, you failed. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not reliable. Yeah. So uh, I feel like producing it at the lowest possible cost, securing a good return for the investment required to produce it, which is substantial, mm -hmm. uh, is going gonna, is gonna to feed the light switch going on in the companies that, in the countries that don't have it. Yeah. Uh, I, that's our role to play. Mm -hmm. So I want a bigger role, not just because I'm, you know, I want more revenue and I want my company to more, be more valuable. I want to I want to, I want to be able to facilitate the delivery of this and it's only going to happen if the comp the companies investing the money are producing a good enough return to attract capital. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we kind of focused on the economic side of the problem uh, from the very beginning. So now that oil is, I mean, I don't know if we're actually officially at 90 and we were like 87, 88. Yeah. Um, where are you without giving you proprietary information? Where, where are you seeing opportunities for, cause we have a whole lot of guys who listen who are wanting to go out on their own. A lot of engineers, a lot of landmen, a lot of just BD guys want to go out and start their own EMP. There's still so much money in there. Mm -hmm. Where are you guys seeing opportunities? I mean, you have access to all this data now. Yeah, so the biggest, um, I mean, if you think of the traditional developed plays, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Williston, um, uh, particularly the Permian, right? Eagleford's pretty drilled up. So if you kind of look at those, those plays, the biggest challenge is to figure out how, if I go in and do development when there's development all around me, or maybe even above and below me, how do I make money? Like, how do I compete uh, for capital? So like answering that question, being able to build a thesis, test it quickly, fail fast is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and our software provides great insight into those kinds of uh, questions. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, f I feel like delivering software to the industry that allows them to do that kind of analysis fairly quickly on any parcel size that they want is, is the key mm -hmm. uh, to, to figuring that out. Um, I, I find the uh, interest, renewed interest in traditional gas plays also <laughs> super interesting. So when you see Southwestern and, and Chesapeake in particular, Chesapeake's like sold their powder assets, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a few years ago, the the focus for them was, you know, get out of get out of gas, get into oil, get more oily, right? Mm -hmm. So they bought uh, Wild Horse, uh, Eagleford Asset, and they bought they bought stuff in the powder, and now it's like I don't know what they do with the Wild Horse thing, but they just bought Chief, yeah, and then they bought Vine uh, in the Haynesville. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing a lot more interest, renewed interest in capital going into these gas plays because. The economics on a gas well, if like if it's above like two fifty three bucks an M scuff, it's just ridiculous how much money you can, especially especially in places like uh, like the Haynesville, you know, where where you've got uh, access to pipeline, you can get it to market and for a very low differential. Mm -hmm. uh, so so those those are very looking at some of these traditional gas plays uh, is suddenly super interesting. I mean. Uh, one, one of our um, one of our customers, a major major private equity firm, recently funded a transaction in the Haynesville. You know, so they acquired a public company. This is a half a billion dollar deal. Mm -hmm. You know, and and it was a 
you know, our, our software was a, was a part of it, you know, like, okay, let's run some development scenarios. Let's, they got a lot of undeveloped acreage. Let, let's see what this is worth. Cause a lot of those gas plays, like they were developed, they were their first, first in right on, on shale. So they were developed early. Like the Barnett started, you know, development started way back, you know, mm. uh, and Hainesville was developed and Fayetteville was developed. And then everyone went away from those places. The capital all went to oil, right? Now, notably, uh, Marcellus has been different, um, you know, but, but EQT has been very active up there on the mm -hmm. acquisition front. You know, they've bought all kinds of stuff. Uh, so, so the big players bought the small players at low val lower valuations. Now, of course, they're, they're uh, getting significant, some significant upside. Random left turn. Bitcoin mining using natural gas is taken off. We're doing an entire conference uh, in March 31st <clears throat> called Empower, focusing on the intersection of energy and Bitcoin. Is that something that you guys, or has anybody requested it, or you guys thought about it in terms of building that into the model? Because we ran some models. Um, we've had a whole bunch of producers come in here. We've had miners come in here uh, and ran models on, or we say Bitcoin's like half of what it was when I'm going to say this, but... It was $60,000 Bitcoin. We put in a whole bunch of different um, parameters for different miners and stuff. And essentially, the net back was $35 in MCF, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to, what is it, $3 now? Yep. Right? So what's interesting is tons of operators have reached out. And now I think that the EMP of the future potentially could be at the flick of a button. You're either selling to the market or you're mining Bitcoin or you're providing hosting services or whatever it may be using that energy. Is that something you guys have thought about? Have you been asked for it? We have not been asked for it. We have thought about it um, off and on. I think uh, we, we think a lot about uh, what causes uh, capital to be invested mm -hmm. in, a, in, an, in any kind of, uh, you know, E&P type asset, right? Um, so, so the return, obviously, is the big driver, right? So whoever's whoever's giving, giving you the money, they're interested in the free cash, the, mm -hmm. you know, share appreciation, those sorts of things. If it's a public company, you know, it's a private company. They're, they're just interested in the net asset value going up. So someday they can sell it to a public company. Uh, so one of the big drivers that we see, uh, and that we're, we're, we're probably going to work on as our sort of next big problem is, is helping on the, on the ESG front. So mm -hmm. we're already doing production forecasting. So we think about, well, if we're forecasting, oil, gas, and water production, there are some relatively straightforward equations that you can use to determine things like methane emissions mm -hmm. or stuff like that. So we're super interested in, in helping our customers balance. Uh, so, so they, it used to be you had, you had three legs to the stool. Now there's four. And the fourth one, it, when it comes to making an investment decision, the fourth one now is you have to look at, well, okay, what are the emission, what is the emissions profile mm -hmm. of this unit that I might drill? Uh, that's kind of like, you know, because you have to think about that because your investors are demanding it mm. and they may not give you money if you don't meet, uh, some, you know, arbitrary, uh, uh, emissions threshold or whatever. Plus I, I do think, uh, a lot about, you know, like how, how do we overall, you know, like there's, there's companies like Exxon have come out with announcements that are like, we want to be carbon neutral by, you know, 2050 or whatever, whatever the, whatever the date is. And we we're like, well, how can we help them do that? I mean, that's obviously a goal. And I, and I do read public filings, uh, certainly of our customers. When I see, when I see them talking about putting incentives in place for their management team, where if the management team achieves certain ESG objectives, that's 25% of their bonus. 
Mm-hmm. Like now it's you huge. put now you put a very strong incentive in place, uh, and I think that's gonna that's gonna happen, right? Because of course that company is then gonna tell the investor community, hey, we we put our our money where our mouth is. Our managers are actually incented uh, to keep uh, emissions below. Uh, uh, thresholds and those thresholds are declining, meaning we're pushing, mm-hmm. we're pushing them for more and more, just like we push them for more and more free cash and we push them for more and more production. We're also pushing them for less and less uh, emissions. So we're thinking of that's a, that's a really a problem that is directly tangential to the problem we already solve for our customers today. So we're thinking of how do we add, how do we add a forecast for emissions uh, as a good starting point. Mm-hmm. So I think the Bitcoin problem is super interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm interested in anything that sort of, I mean, currency uh, is a form of risk, right? Mm-hmm. So if you accept payment in US dollars, I mean, what did, what did the US print last year? 10 trillion? That's like, a lot. Of, I want to say, that's I don't know exactly, paper, right? like 30%, maybe 40% of like the Money supply was printed in 2020, 21. Yeah. It's, I mean, so a lot of, so how, how, like getting paid in dollars is, is, uh, is a good way to get paid, you know, cause it's, it's based on trust though. Mm-hmm. The value of a dollar is based on trust. It's a, it's a commodity that is exchanged, right? Just like Bitcoin is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least with Bitcoin, you don't have like, uh, you know, the, people in, in Congress or legislative bodies that are arbitrarily reducing the value of the currency by just flooding the market with more mm-hmm. currency. I mean, there is a supply and demand for currency just like anything else, it's right? It's crazy so, to think that like, what if in like <clears throat> five years, like all of your NPVs are not in dollars, but in Bitcoin or in yeah. something else, right? I mean, I, Ethereum. Could, I, I could easily see that happening. Like yeah. right, right now, you know, when in our software, you put your forward expectations on WTI price and uh, M scuff price and all that, you put it in our, in our software, right? Well, you could just as easily put it in there in Bitcoin dollar. Mm-hmm. We don't care, you know, and then we could train, change the metrics, uh, on the outputs that they, they would actually change automatically. So it wouldn't be hard for us, uh, to do that. But I, I could see this particular industry shifting that way. Um, it gets back to what I was saying earlier about this being a sort of global interconnected market, mm-hmm. uh, for energy, the safest way to trade currency could indeed be Ethereum mm-hmm. or, or Bitcoin, mm-hmm. because, because you don't have the problem of our arbitrary f- flooding in the market, which devalues your investment, right? Because mm-hmm. oil, oil well is a 30 year, you know, onshore oil well is a 30 to 50 year investment, right? Yep. So a lot could happen in 30 to 50 years. Would anyone have anticipated that the US government would flood the economy with $10 trillion and now we have massive inflation? Would you have anticipated that three mm-hmm. years ago? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, mm-hmm. uh, but that's what happened. So that arbitrarily decreases the value of the dollar and causes inflationary pressure. Uh, Bitcoin is kind of immune, uh, you know, to crypto in general. It's mm-hmm. kind of immune. It's why you're seeing all these investors put into put money into it because theoretically it is safer. Now, the more participants there are in the market, you're, you're going to see a lot less of this arbitrage type currency fluctuation that you see with Bitcoin. You know, it's 60,000 one day and 20,000 the next. Uh, I think the more participants there are, the reason the dollar is pretty stable is because everyone trades the dollar, mm-hmm. every bank, uh, every country, everyone trades the dollar, right? So obviously we're, we're feeling, the, I'm feeling the effects of inflation. Our home price has shot up in VITE, which is great, but if I wanted to get out of it, so is every other house. And so I'm mm-hmm. getting in at the top. And so is rent prices. So so rent like, prices are high. 
Unless you're going to go live in a tent uh, yeah. at, at, underneath a 290 overpass, yeah. like you know, you're 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 kind of out of options. There's like ridiculous market adjustments for certain vehicles on the market currently. It's all over the place. It's up and down. I'm curious from your perspective of operators felt the effects of inflation on drilling well. I mean, give or take, usually shale wells about what ten million dollars to to drilling complete. I mean, have we seen? Have we have they started feeling that? Is it is it bumped up to a 12, 13, 15? I don't know. No, I mean, I, you know, they, they, industry in general did a really good job just, just through gaining efficiencies and renegotiating contract. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, I, I was uh, working at, at an oil company and we had 20 rigs going, right? So we were almost willing to pay any price Blown and going, man. to get a rig, you know, now nobody's doing that now. Uh, not, nobody's doing programs of that size just because of this focus on, on free cash but we used to have to make all kinds of commitments to like get the rigs, mm-hmm. uh, three year commitment, you know, this and that, and then you can't get out of the contract. And of course, when the price goes down of oil, you're, you're stuck. Um, but, but a lot of, I, I feel like prices need to, uh, from service providers, oil field service providers do need to come back up because they had to make a, more concessions mm-hmm. even, uh, you know, after the, uh, COVID induced downturn. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think it's going to cause, price of oil to go up that high because yeah. um, they they there's always about the about the market kind of balances itself that's what i've always seen so like yes they'll increase prices and operators are willing to accept a certain amount but if they push the price too high operators can't can't attract capital because the returns are mm-hmm. not as high right yeah. they're, they're projected re- free cash flow returns and therefore they can't so they, they the participants kind of have to balance each other out and i i feel like the market finds a good balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's bad that there's been so much consolidation with oil services. Uh, you know, I, th- I think that's kind of a negative because if there's less companies around, you get the same problem that exists with legacy data providers today where there's like, you know, two More or power three, in the hands two or three pseudo monopolists yeah. running around and customers are stuck, you know, like, uh, well, I can only buy from Halliburton because nobody's mm-hmm. left, uh, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever. Um, I'm not singling out Halliburton, but all of them need to raise prices. They're due that because they've made a lot of concessions. Um, really, over the last five years, has been a lot of concessions, but they've also gotten a lot more efficient. They, mm-hmm. Equipment is improved. The uh, frack rates have been improved. Like all of, all of the, they did all the things that they could do to squeeze as much juice out of the lemon as they could. But but um, you know they're they're due increase in price. So I, I think there will be some increase in price, but uh, I don't I don't think it's going to be monumental. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really. <clears throat> with prices where they are now, I mean, I read with great interest the other day, Pioneer decided to take off all their hedges, right? Really? Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, because once oil gets to a certain price, you're paying a lot of money to hedge. And it's like, okay, like uh, the, the macro trends, it doesn't look like it's going to be dropping uh, anytime soon. Not, 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 certainly not plummeting to negative 37 or anything like that. So, the, you know, the value of a hedge goes down. Uh, and if you're, able to sell oil, you're able to sign marketing contracts at 80 bucks mm-hmm. uh, a barrel that are, those contracts are longer term contracts. It's not, they're not subject to the trading price of WTI futures, right? It's, it's based on that. But once you have a contract, you have a contract. Mm-hmm. So you, they must have enough confidence uh, that, that uh, things will be relatively stable at a relatively high price and therefore not worth paying, paying for hedges. Let me tell you, it feels <clears> good to see oil prices where they've been especially after negative 37. It feels like I came in the industry 2014, 
2014. And then obviously we had the crash of what, 15, 16. It feels like one gigantic downturn. So I feel like the, for the first time, everybody can catch their breath. And I feel like we're finally kind of bouncing back. It seems like optimism yeah. is coming back. It seems like everybody's looking to hire. It seems like we can't find enough people, which I think is really interesting. And I think also for the first time, maybe in history, you know, due to, you know, a lot of climate stuff and kind of broader energy stuff, it just seems like energy is really at the the forefront of public conversation, mm-hmm. you know? And I think you also have a couple of things like the freeze that we experienced. What was that last year? I think it was last year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the last few years all just kind of like blend together. <laughs> but the freeze we had last year, I think made a lot of people re- appreciate, you know, when the lights go off, so do, so does a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's really, really interesting. I'm super bullish on this industry. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's exciting to see a lot of innovation, uh, just a lot of hype. I know we're excited. We've got a lot of really cool things planned for this year. So yeah, it's been great catching up again for Absolutely. the for the third time. I'm sure we'll catch up again. And any, do you have any other three time participants? Am I the only one? I was early, so I mean, I was one of the earlier ones that you all did. I think Adler with Source Energy may be a three timer. Um, we should get jackets or something, man. We should. There's like, like an you exclusive know, like this, club. The Saturday Night Live guys that have the yeah. five, the five that Tom Hanks has the five on there because the velour jacket. Yeah, got to get those, man. You need those. Maybe you get like a master's <laughs> jacket, like the green ones. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Yeah, yeah. I think Josh Robbins with uh, with Beechwood, but he was also coming to Houston like every other day, and yeah. so we had him on a few different times. Uh, he's doing a lot of cool stuff. We can catch up with him too. But yeah, there's an exclusive club. There's, yeah, yeah. There's definitely no more than like. Maybe three of you guys. Awesome. We need to, maybe you do like a like a wall of fame. <laughs> so yeah, these are great ideas. It's been great catching up. Absolutely. Um, looking forward to you know continuing to see the growth and success that you guys have had. Uh, so cool to see the acquisition of Shale Profile. So I'm here for it. Thanks, Can't man. See what's next, man. All right. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Uh, take two seconds. Go check out our website. We got a lot of really cool events coming up. We've got uh, zero. Coming up in April, which is going to be focused on a lot of the different technologies that are really going to help this industry get to more of a lower carbon future, uh, lowering emissions and stuff as an industry. Uh, Also, we've got our Empower Conference, March 30th and 31st here in Houston at 8th Wonder Brewery. We're expecting about 2,500 attendees. Uh, We just found out yesterday, Ted Cruz is going to be speaking uh, along with pretty much anybody who's anybody in oil and gas who is doing something with Bitcoin mining, also a lot of big name miners. Uh, as well. So if you're interested in that space, be sure to check it out. See you guys there. Come, 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 come.